Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester. In a minute, we'll be chatting to Nicholas Earle, City AM's energy correspondent, and Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent, about the ongoing effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on global energy and equities markets. But away from the war, some headlines from the city this morning, and there was news this morning from the Pru life insurance and financial services company Prudential enjoyed a bump to new business profits last year as the pandemic era drive to get one's affairs in order seems to roll on. New business profit lifted 15 percent and the London headquartered company's gross premiums for 2021 inch slightly above 2020. Of course, the company is continuing its pivot to Asia and the significant number of people there without insurance. So Peru continuing to double down on that strategy. Meanwhile, Gatwick has reported that despite ever-changing travel restrictions, the last few months of 2021 helped the airport reduce its annual losses by around a quarter. In the year ended 31 December, the London hub shrank its pandemic-induced losses from $465 million to $370 million. As it was for many airports, 2021 was a difficult year, said Chief Executive Stuart Wingate, practicing a degree of understatement. I'm not sure I would have managed Despite constantly changing travel restrictions and the emerging Omicron variant, we managed to end the year strongly and reduced our losses compared to the previous year, he said. And elsewhere in takeover news, asset manager DWS has pinched Stagecoach from under the nose of National Express, or so it appears. Stagecoach has backed a £595 million takeover by German investment group DWS, scuppering plans by National Express for a £1.9 billion tie-up with the bus giant. Stagecoach said it was recommending a rival hire bid by investor DWS infrastructure um, and has ditched its support for the National Express offer. Shares in the bus group surged by nearly 40% on the takeover, with a DWS bid marking a significant improvement of a about the same premium. What's interesting now is that a number of shareholders are irrevocably committed to bids either way, so it will come down to a shareholder vote. Now, before we get to Jack and Nick, some of the corporate fallout from Russia's attack continues. Everaz has revealed it is deeply concerned and saddened by conflict in Ukraine and hopes for peace soon, but stopped short of condemning the Russian government and chose not to describe the event as an invasion in an update to the markets this morning. The company stressed that it did not consider itself to be an entity owned or acting on behalf of the Kremlin, nor that its owners had contact with the Kremlin, said its day-to-day operations and trading remain unaffected from sanctions, and that its financial position continues to be robust. Shares were up around. 28% today on that news. This morning, two British directors quit the board of the UK wing of Harway over the parent company's silence on the invasion. Sir Andrew Khan and Ken Elisa evidently felt that that was too much to bear. I have to say, I wonder if Uyghur campaign groups have something to say about that. And elsewhere, McDonald's and Starbucks have shut up shop, at least temporarily, in Russia. BDO has joined a host of accountancy firms in leaving, and investors too are now looking at ways to pull out stranded assets. Um, Jack... Bonnet, our economics and markets correspondent, and Nicholas Earl, our energy correspondent, join me now. Nick, we'll start with you. Obviously, Russia's assault on Ukraine continues in ever more bloody form. Away from the humanitarian cost of this uh, move from the Kremlin, still we're seeing significant after effects on the energy market. Yesterday, of course, we had the UK and the US banning the imports of Russian, well, the UK banning the import of Russian oil, US banning the import of Russian oil and gas. Um, Energy markets still jumpy, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, very volatile. Prices are down on yesterday, but remain highly elevated at $121 per barrel. And the question really is, uh, how high could they go if Europe decides to follow suit with Mm. the US and UK, with estimates varying from $150 to $200 per barrel, potentially, if Europe decides to take the plunge and also cut itself off from Russian fossil fuels? 
Mm, yeah, I saw a quote in this morning uh, in the papers this morning from an analyst saying essentially it's, it's pick your number now because you could get to a position where you know oil could hit as high as two hundred dollars a barrel. We've heard that a few times now, but then the after effects of that in terms of growth could then lead to a world bar recession that has oil back down to fifty bucks a barrel by the end of the year. So it's going to be one to watch. That's certainly for sure. Jack, that oil price inflation quite clearly feeding into energy prices uh, as well as prices elsewhere. We've got highest ever one-day jump in petrol prices yesterday in the UK, according to the RAC. We've got the price cap coming along in April, which is really only delaying the pain for for consumers. All of this lighting a fire under uh, Andrew Bailey and the central bank. Yeah, so obviously... um Oil prices and gas prices are always a pretty good um, indicator of how overall inflation is going to trend over the next couple of months or so. Um, you know, we've written a lot about. Um, I think even before this um, energy spike was happening, we've we've really hammered home the point that inflation is going to be a lot higher than what people expect mm. over the next coming months, and particularly higher than what the Bank of England expects it's going to be. Um, the highest uh, forecasted peak I've seen for analysts is Goldman Sachs at nine point five percent in October. Mm. That's on um, the energy price cap being hiked again by 55% um, in October, which would deliver about a £3,000 annual energy bill to most to most households. But it, again, it just goes back to this point that the Bank of England is really, really in a quandary at the moment where they're going to have to trade off growth, where it's that inflation growth trade-off, mm. isn't it, which obviously most economists point to in this sort of um, situation, is that do you front-load rate hikes now to get on top of price rises, sacrificing short-term growth, but... You know, do you trade that off for saying that, well, maybe we need to support the economy a bit more because we've had this big energy shock, which is mm. going to deliver quite a bad um, hit to, to output um, in exchange for um, potentially long-term growth being weaker because inflation persists. And, you know, Andrew Bailey and NBC are meeting next week on Thursday to deliver the next rate, next rate decision. And um, I think uh, if you were, uh, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say they will hike rates again mm. because they really have started signaling that they're quite um, uneasy with the level of inflation at the moment. Yeah, well, I think they're going to have to hike rates purely because the the public reaction to them or the market reaction, let's say, um, market reaction to them not raising rates would be, hang on, you've led us up the hill again hmm. for the second time in, in less than six months. The media reaction would perhaps be even more damning. Um, Nigel Bailey is already not exactly winning friends across both the business and national media with some comments he made last last month about pay hikes and, and whether or not you should ask for them. That was a very different place to where we are now. No one necessarily could have foreseen Vladimir Putin rolling the tanks into Ukraine. There will be questions about whether the failure to hike rates at the end of last year has contributed to a lack of resilience in the system, a lack of sort of elasticity, really, that all it took was one shock, admittedly a massive shock, to send inflation up to, you know, I, I was at dinner last night with a major investment bank who were talking about double-digit inflation by the end of the year. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think what obviously what Nick's obviously pointed to some of the price rises that we've had over the last couple of days um, in the oil and gas markets. And I think the point to make is that energy is such an, it's such an integral component to, you know, pretty much every single business mm. across the board. And even, even businesses which don't consume a large amount of oil and gas to produce goods and services, you know, they're going to be buying goods from businesses which produce um, capital goods, which they then use to produce consumer goods. And if, you know, if you've got um, businesses who are producing machinery, if their costs are going up by 10, 15%, 
at some point, they're either going to have to pass it on to other businesses. Mm. And then again, it's going to feed through to consumer inflation. But I think the point you made earlier on is that um, the only way we kind of get out of this energy crunch now is through um, a recession, pretty much. There's the only way we're going to get oil prices back down and gas prices back down is that, is that if demand um, starts to recede quite sharply, basically triggered by most businesses just saying, listen, oil is too high, we can't afford it, we're going yeah. to start buying other things or we're going to reduce production. I think that's the only only route out of this now. Yeah, we're in demand destruction phase, aren't we, already? Um, which ideally you'd like to avoid. Um, but that might, as you say, be the only thing to bring this down. I don't think we're quite at unanchored inflation yet, but we're certainly at very, very high inflation. Um, and wages, frankly, with the supply chain costs going up for businesses right across the economy, wages, it seems almost impossible that they could possibly keep up with that that rate of inflation. Um, Nick, let's go back to you and just cover some some drama in the city. Well, yesterday morning, um, no drama today, but that's almost as dramatic. Um, it relates to nickel prices. The London Metal Exchange yesterday basically suspending trading in nickel um, after a, a huge, unprecedented spike more details filtering out today and a lot of it relates to essentially a gigantic short position. Yes, that's correct. Um, Chinese uh, nickel magnate, uh, Mr. Jiang Guangda, uh, put a big short squeeze on on nickel uh, this, uh, yesterday. And that uh, contributed to already very difficult conditions because, of course, nickel prices were elevated already with panicked investors concerned about supply disruptions and um, worried about the prospect of Western sanctions resulting in further shortages in the market. And now it turns out that the LME is going to have to actually consider, or at least according to the Times Radio um, comments, made by LME's boss uh, this morning is going to have to consider potentially uh, putting in mechanisms in place to potentially stop future short squeezing um, mm. which is very much against the kind of ethos of the LME that you typically associate it with, with the kind of sort of you know, embrace of free market economics yeah. so it's quite a significant, significant these, development today. These are effectively circuit breaks right? Uh, yeah. We obviously know of them in the States particularly they're used a lot more in the States we saw them used during the, the Reddit Reddit meme cast well, affair last well, year. Well, Moscow's using it right now. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> Moscow's on a very lengthy circuit break at the minute. Um, so, yeah, it, it is going to be one to watch. Of course, in the good old days, if you made a horrendous um, horrendous call on a short, uh, you would just be left to pick up the pieces, which I think will be something that will be a discussion amongst the more free market types in the city over the over their pints this evening. Um, Nick, Jack, thanks for joining us. That's all from us at City View today, and we will see you again tomorrow.